I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Doesn't love to make you feel good. You know, doesn't, when you sit and you've had that absolute bellyache laugh, how good do you feel? I mean, physically, it, it changes you in any event. But I could, I could, I could go out and, I could conquer the world after I've had a jolly good laugh. I feel good. I feel strong. I feel I feel relaxed. I feel open. Welcome to the Humorology Podcast with me, Paul Barros, and my glittering lineup of guests from the worlds of business, sport, and entertainment, who are here to share their wisdom and their use of humour with you. Humorology is the study of how humour can dramatically improve your business and your life. Humorology puts the fun into business fundamentals, increases the value of your laughing stock and puts a punchline back into your bottom line. Please remember to like, subscribe and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. My guest on this edition of the Humorology podcast is a multi-million dollar business entrepreneur turned dragon. She's one of the stars of BBC Two's Dragon's Den, as well as a fire-breathing businesswoman with an expertise in investments. Her book, Common Sense Rules, provides straightforward advice she's learnt from a lifetime of lucrative business. When she isn't striking million-dollar deals in the den, she travels the world to share her experience in leadership, business, entrepreneurship and life. She does all this with a lightness and laughter, based on her legendary life, which has seen her make an extraordinary leap from being one-time bingo caller to a brilliant behemoth in business. Deborah Meaden, welcome to the Humorology Podcast. Hello, Paul. Thank you for inviting me. Well, it's, it's a great, great pleasure to have you here, Deborah. And uh, uh, we were talking about the uh, Dragon's Den straight away, so that's where I want to start. The people who pitch on uh, to the dragons manage to create a wide range of emotional responses from frustration and anger to surprise and confusion and, of course, laughter. Aside from the obvious fact that the deal has to be good, do you think that getting the dragons to laugh increases their chances of success? I don't know about that. Um, we've had some real fun in the den with people who have walked away with no deal at all. But I do think that laughter creates a bridge. You know, it kind of it creates an atmosphere. And and also, I like to see a relaxed picture. And I think that once they've got the dragons laughing, 
they're more likely to be able to get their message across. So I think laughter plays a part, but I, you know, listen, we're dragons. We're not just going to invest because we find somebody funny. But do you think it actually shifts the way people feel about somebody? I mean, because one of the prerequisites, of course, is you are going to have to work with these people over the long term. So you presumably want to have some kind of bond with them, some kind of rapport. You're absolutely right. There needs to be an empathy. You know, you need to look at somebody and think, actually, I want to do this. You know, it's, I don't have to. It's not my job. I'm a, you know, I'm an investor. I've got thousands of opportunities to invest. Do I want to do this? And humor definitely plays a part in that. You know, I'm I'm forever saying, you know, I don't get laughter lines like this without laughing a lot. And across all of my businesses, you know, we have fun. Well, well, that's, I think, very important because the, the whole Humorology project is about getting, as we say in the introduction, the, the fun into business fundamentals. And to hear a great business person like yourself talk about fun being a prerequisite is really important. Uh, talking about fun, I know that you uh, mentioned that I mentioned in my introduction and you've talked about that you and I know it's only a brief stint as a bingo caller. What insights did that give you to developing good customer relations? Oh, my goodness. Best lessons ever. I've never learned more than I learned doing that because your customers are directly in front of you and you have to build a rapport and a relationship. I learned that it was really important not just to recognize people, but to remember even something small about them, you know, to, to make them know they genuinely matter. There is so much, you know, Customers are really important to us and we want your feedback and it's just a script. And I learned customers are not stupid. They know the difference between a script and somebody who genuinely remembers them, is genuinely interested in them. Um, so I think it taught me everything about customer relationship. You know, I don't talk about customer services. It, it's that bond. It's that it's that contract you've got with your customer that um, when you've got them sitting a few feet away from you and they're quite happy to tell you when they're happy with you and they're quite happy to tell you when they're not, that is a really, really salutary lesson. So how do you know that as well? Because presumably you've got really good at reading people and reading their faces. I'm a psychologist, so uh, it's part of the job. But I'm thinking that you must be a, a very good psychologist to be reading people and picking up on their signals. Uh, was that helped by all that as well? Oh, absolutely, definitely. So, so I would have, I mean, the setup of the bingo, I'd be sitting in the middle, there would be 50 people sitting around me, um, not just their faces, I would always recognize, you know, and I'd remember because some of these people came back from one year to the next. Some of them would come up with a baby, you know, they didn't have last year. And I would remember that. Um, but also their body language. You know, I would I could sense I can sense a room without even directly looking at somebody. I, I can sense a room is happy or a sense a room isn't happy. And when I had holiday parks and I walk into the nightclubs, I would know before there was an issue. I can feel tension. I can feel mood. Um, I can feel happy mood and I can feel it when it's going wrong. I don't know what that is, but I do think it leads back to me being quite close to customers and even in my peripheral vision, reading body language. 
So you're picking up cues constantly, aren't you? And is that what great leaders do? Because I, I have worked with many great leaders, and I think that they are reading cues off the top, as it were, all the time. Is our, as you said, are people happy? What are the signals coming back? Because surely in order to lead, you have to be knowing what's going wrong before it goes wrong, as it were. Well, that's true, but you also know which signals to pick up from who, you know, so it's not just um, in a particular environment, you might be picking up one set of signals that could really send you off course if you don't see it all in the round, you know, so it's kind of it's a what I think it's a real bonus to be able to read these situations uh, and actually not all leaders, great leaders, I, I'm not calling myself a great leader, I'm just saying that great leaders do read them in the right situations. But actually too many business leaders that I have met surround themselves with people who are gonna send them the signals that they want to receive, you know, and that is really, really dangerous. You know, you've got to be open to reading the general situation and many different situations, putting that all in and, and coming out with what you think is the right solution. No, I think that's brilliant advice. Did you develop these skills over the years? Or, or I mean, what I'm really wanting to know is, was the young Deborah Meaden aware of all these things and just built upon it? Or was this learnt behaviour? I don't really know the answer to that, because when I was younger, I wasn't really aware of what I was doing or what I wasn't doing. But I do say that it's in our family. My mother has definitely got it. She's really, really good at it. Um, my sister, my older sister, actually all of my sisters are very, very good at reading situations. And when we, you know, when we talk about humour, we have the funniest times when the four of us come together because, you know, we get it. They, they just get it. You know, they'll, they'll be they'll absolutely read a situation and find that little bit of humour in it. Um, and, and to do that, you've got to be really aware of what's going on around you, I think. I think that awareness and being in the moment is what I think makes the difference between a good leader and a great leader. I, I, I completely agree. And, and and you talk about it. It was in the in the firmament of the family. It, it was there. So you naturally pick that up. I think um, so. Well, I, I, I really enjoyed, and I think it's a brilliant book and, and all entrepreneurs and, and leaders should get it, your book, Common Sense Rules. It's got many simple truths and transferable insights, basically for any leader or entrepreneur. What part does good attitude and great communication skills have in becoming successful in, those, in that sense? Oh, my goodness. I think attitude is absolutely everything. I think and actually that's not just in business. You know, if you look at great sports people, you know, often there's a load of people with a load of talent who are absolutely brilliant, but they haven't got the right approach or they haven't got their, their head in the right place. So I think attitude is absolutely everything. You know, I was talking to my sister who's who's having a really tough time at the moment in her business, you know, not enough staff and, and very high standards. So, you know, driving herself mad trying to get there. Um, and and she's but but I said, do you know what? Do you know what, Gail? The thing about our family is we never, ever see. We never think we can't sort anything, you know. And if you approach life with it, no, you can sort this. There's a way around, there's a way over this, there's a way around this, you know, and that's all about attitude because we don't have any different skills to anybody else. 
you know, but except we have a belief that this is sortable. So attitude, I think, is really, really important. And communication, you know, there's no point me wandering around knowing what I <laughs> knowing what the plan is and knowing what the vision is, you know, and if you and you can't transmit that to people, you can't sit in the middle and tell them that's what it is. You know, you've got to be able to bring people along with you. And I, that's where I think humor is really important. You know, people's minds are more open when they're having fun and they're enjoying themselves and they feel they're in a safe place because it's OK to laugh. Uh, well, thank you, because that that backs up the whole uh, humorology uh, project's thesis. But it's funny because you talked about and the book Common Sense Rules talks about common sense. And sometimes I, I will be doing a, a lecture or a keynote and somebody will come up to me afterwards. And I wonder if this happens to you and say that was brilliant. But isn't what you're saying just common sense? And I will go. Well, yet it's actually uncommon sense because it seems like common sense when somebody tells you and you go, of course, but people don't put it in action. And I think that's where the attitude comes in, doesn't it? Yes, I think so. Uh, but I also think there's a tendency sometimes in people to, to overcomplicate because the more complicated it sounds and the cleverer you look when you sort it out, or they can use complications to stop you from, you know, well, of course you can't do that because, you know, a thousand and one reasons why you can't. And I think my thing about common sense rules is, is actually, I don't say business is easy. It's not easy. It's blinking hard work, but it's actually not complicated. You know, just take all those words away. Stop paying people a fortune to tell you that what's actually the simplest things. And as you've just said, Paul, most people, they've got their own answers. People know this stuff. You know, I don't want to be telling them stuff they don't know. I want the, the, I want to be saying stuff that they think, oh, yeah, no, I think that. I agree with that. That's, you know, that's, that's what I want. I don't want, I'm not there to make myself feel better. I just want everybody else to realise that they, you know, I'm, I'm no cleverer than they are. You know, I, I, I just, I can simplify things, you know, and, 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 and I think that's a really, really important thing. And I think that's an important thing in leaders. I've watched some leaders who go as far as they can to make themselves look really clever by overcomplicating stuff. It is, I mean, I think that, that that's where genius lies, though, is in, in the simplicity of if you can make something look easy and, and, and explain it to people in simple terms, then you are a great communicator because you have simplified it down to the level whereby you can communicate the information. And I think that's where humour comes in as well, because don't people sort of like latch on to things more easily when they're having a laugh, when they're relaxed? Yeah, that's so true. And that because, because humour kind of makes you feel safe. You know, you're, you're enjoying this kind of relationship that's very open and very relaxed and very easy to, to respond to. So, so, yeah, that's why I think humour is so important in the workplace, because it builds a, a, an intangible relationship and a, this, this safety contract, you know, this kind of thing that says, look, OK, we're all human here. You know, we, we're often laughing about the silly mistakes we've made ourselves or I've made myself or or, you know, everyone goes, oh, I can't believe, you know. Uh, and so so the ability to 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 create a safe place where people can laugh at themselves, at the situation, you know, and I, 
I think that's so important. I love the fact that you actually talk about being able to laugh at yourself, because I think that's very important because a leader shows how it's done, doesn't he? And, and sets the rules for everybody else. And if the leader can't laugh at themselves, what hope is there for anybody working with them? Oh, Paul, so true. I mean, I, I remember sometimes, you know, I, I say things wrong or I say them, it comes out wrong. And, you know, and everyone will stare at me and I'll think, we'll all laugh and I'll go, that was ridiculous, wasn't it? <laughs> and everybody laughs, you know, and that's fine. Because if I can, if I can get it wrong and I can laugh and I can say, oh, that was, that was really silly. You know, uh, it, it just, it gives everybody else permission to get stuff wrong and to laugh and, 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 and realize that actually that ain't going to work, is it? You know, um, and, and that I, I, listen, I am confident enough to know I'm not stupid. You know, and and therefore I don't mind when I do something silly because just we all do it. We all do ridiculous things. We all, you know, say things the wrong way or 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 you know suggest something that as you're saying it, you're thinking, oh, like, oh no, why did I say that? Um, but if you can laugh and recognize it, and that's the other thing I do, I will say it. You know, I will recognize a ridiculousness. You know, I will and and, and giving it voice. And allowing everybody to have a bit of a smile, I think that's quite powerful too. I, I think it's very powerful. So what makes you laugh, Deborah? <laughs> so much. Um, life pretty much, doesn't it? I mean, ridiculous situations, cats, video, my, my animals, videos on the internet. Um, uh, but it's often, it's often the human and idiosyncrasies you know it's those little observational moments where and I think that's why I can laugh at my sisters because you know we all know each other very well and sometimes dad will say something and we'll all look at each other and just you know we know we just burst out laughing um so so yeah I think it, it's just life it's just lots of stuff and but again I think that's attitude I think if you're looking to find humor in things there's an awful lot around to laugh about, you know. Um, but on a bad day, when I just can't see humour, that's my attitude on that day. That's not, it's not the humour that's gone away. That's I've got them up on the wrong side of the bed, you know. And and, and so uh, there's there's so much humour around. Well, I love that because it does come down to attitude. And I love your attitude, but of like it's my responsibility to find the funny. Now, I can go and look. And by the way, in the world we live in at the moment, there's plenty to look at that is going to make us very sad and everything. But in order to, to you know, to say stay sane, we have to find the funny. We have to look for the good in things as well. Do you think, I know that you're very active on Twitter. And, uh, you know, I advise everybody to follow you because you, you, you talk a lot of sense. Um, but you're also funny and you retweet things that are apt and funny. Uh, how do you think that Twitter works for uh, for this world? Because it seems to me that it's a little bit that if it bleeds, it leads on Twitter and, and, and bad things go whereas you seem to find a balance and find some funny as well. Well, I, I think you're right. I mean, I, I you know, I, funny enough, I was having this conversation this morning saying that actually the world is probably not a worse place in a world. It feels like it's in a really bad place at the moment. It's probably not in any worse a place than it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. 
But because we have this platform that we now all know, A, we know what's going on and it's shared and shared and shared and shared. It's, it's really easy just to get this awful, oh my goodness, the world's in a terrible place. But actually, if you pay attention on social media, there's some wonderful stuff. There's some really human stuff. There's some really kind stuff. There's some really empathetic stuff. And there's some really funny stuff. And, and whilst I can be very punchy on Twitter, you know, I, I do use it as a platform to, to have a conversation about the things that I really care about. I try to be balanced. But every now and then I think, I feel I'm getting in too deep. Hold on a minute, hold on a minute, hold on a minute. This is just getting depressing. And being depressing is not a good state of mind to be in. And that's often when you'll see me pull out and either, either bring in something quite gentle. You know, it might just be an image of something. might be an image of my chickens cooing. Um, or it'll be something funny, but it'll be something to break the tension. Because I think that if you're going to do anything about something, depressed is not a good state of mind to do it in. You want to, I want to feel energized and motivated to do something, not like, oh no, not another thing. Well, yes. And I, I think it is about finding the balance. And of course, the world is serious. But if in order to deal with it, surely we have to have a lightness of touch in order to, to be able to actually drag ourselves through and, and keep ourselves balanced like that. So where would the world be without humour? Well, what would we be like? Oh, I, ca I can't imagine it because... You talk about the lightness of humour, and, and I think that's what it does. I mean, that you know, that we have a physical response to laughter. And, and sometimes I genuinely think I need a jolly good laugh. You know, I, I need my stomach to hurt. You know, I need to spend time with people who are really going to make me laugh. So there is a physical reaction to that. Now, that must be for reason, you know, and, and, and we know what's good for ourselves. And, and to just have the flat of life you know if life was just flat it it would have no meaning you know we need the light we need the dark and actually out of the dark often humor sort of jumps out of the dark uh, and, and makes you realize actually you know it's not as bad as we thought it was you know that we're just we were just in a bad place it's actually quite funny so so humor is I think an incredibly um, important part of life. And I personally can't imagine how dull and quite dangerous it would be without it. Because humor's also got me out of quite a few sticky situations, you know. Oh, has so, it? Oh, absolutely. Oh. Laughing's got me out of some sticky situations. You know, well, when you think, oh, this is going horribly wrong. <laughs> and I laugh, I laugh, you know, a giggle does it. Well, it does, because it doesn't, I mean, a giggle will actually go to other people. A giggle will actually translate to other people. And, and people, there's a saying in psychology, which is if you want anyone to go into any state, you have to go into that state first. So if you want to, to start somebody feeling light or a thing, you have to go into that state. And it would seem to me that you really instinctively understand that, that, that you can go into that state and it will transfer to other people. I, well, I, I mean, I don't know because I, I haven't thought about it in those terms, but I, I do know, you know, sometimes when you've got those moments thinking, hmm, this is not quite going 
as I thought it was going to go. And or even eyeball to eyeball moments where and, and, and I'll think, right, this can go one way or the other, but I can help take it the right way. I can, I can help us both step back from the brink here, you know, and that's when I say humor has got me out of a few sticky situations because sometimes in, in I get my communication wrong. We end up in the wrong place. And it, you know, and 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 actually using humor to step you back from that, you know, is a really, really powerful. I do that a lot. You know, I I I definitely, if I think this is going wrong, it's almost a way of interjecting, of cutting across that path and actually readjusting you onto a different path. And I definitely use that a lot. That's really interesting because you've got this huge reputation in business and Dragon's Den. Uh, is it difficult to, to get people, especially when you get into new businesses, to challenge you? And what is the best way to challenge you, you know, do you, are you a leader who takes well to chiding, to sort of play? Uh, do you know, oh, that's such a good question. Um, because it's really difficult. I think the higher you go up in any organisation, um, and particularly now that I'm on television as a dragon, people stop challenging you. It's like, just like, you're, you know, you, you've got all the, you've got all the answers, you're the pearls of wisdom, you know, and, and they don't challenge you. Well, I love I love being challenged. You know, I think one of the things I regret most is when I was younger, my style was a little bit too robust. Now, it, it never meant I did. I always wanted to be challenged, but I realized that in being so robust, I was stopping other people from actually challenging me. You know, and, and now I, I definitely use humor and a little bit of self-deprecation sometimes to, to encourage people to challenge me. And if they won't challenge me, I will verbalize it. I'll say, come on guys, I've said this. Look, but surely do you all actually all agree? Or can you add something? You know, because if, if we're all agreeing here, let's you know, let's just move on. We don't need to sit in a room talking to each other. You know, it's, it's so I, 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 I do, but I definitely use humor to do that. And a little bit of self-deprecation sometimes if humor isn't work, you know, you kind of put, turn up the levers, don't you? You kind of try a bit of humor and that hasn't quite worked. So a little bit of self-deprecation might do it, you know, and then I might have to actually physically say, come on, you know, challenge me. Yeah, well, that's brilliant, you see, because I, I always wondered, because I, I've worked with a lot of big leaders over my time. And, and like you said, people who aren't very good surround themselves with people who will just tell them what they want to hear. Whereas people who are very good will have to find new ways and humor being one of them to allow people in and go, it's okay. I need this challenge because you must go into businesses where whilst you have a great business brain, you don't know what the, the actual business is about, don't you? Most of the time. I mean, I invest in businesses and I would expect them to know a lot more about those businesses than me. Of course they do. They're their businesses. They're living, eating, breathing, sleeping them. You know, my job really isn't to, to know it at that depth. It, it's to it's to know enough to sort out who who knows what so that I can pull on that expertise to help me help them, you know? So, so I shouldn't know the intricacies of a business. Um, I should know enough to make sure that when they ask me the, about the big stuff that I can actually add value, you know? So if I went in with the big, I know everything, you know, I would be, well, I would probably cause a lot of business failures because I don't know everything. 
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. No, I, I think that's brilliant. Well, well, now we're in the business mode. Um, if I asked you to write a business case specifically for humor, what would you include in it? In, if we have to take it to CEOs around the world, which I'm sure we will do, we'll take it to CEOs and goes, the reason we need humor in this, and you've got to persuade the accountants and everybody, what, what's in the business case? So people who enjoy their work are good at their work. They, A, they're good at it, B, they want to be at work, and, and C, they go out as great advocates. And in a world where you're trying to attract a really good workforce, you, you can have, you know, an army of people going out saying that is a fantastic place to work. You know, you can, I enjoy it. I enjoy my work. I have, I have you know, I have fun. We, you know, there's the serious moments, but, but there's the fun moments. So, um, so I, I, it's really, really simple. People who enjoy their work are good at it and they stay. And so what's the return on investment on that? Is it, is it just that you get people to stay? It's you get more productivity? Well, um, you could probably measure it through sick days. You'll get fewer people off sick. Um, you, you will get uh, what people doing what's needed to be done without being told you've got to stay until midnight, you know, because actually if you're enjoying what you're doing, then you do a lot less clock watching because it's, and I'm not saying people should work crazy because I don't think people should work crazy hours, by the way, but, but people tend to do what is needed. I mean, I like environments where if you, if you've done your job by four or three o'clock, go home at three, go two o'clock, go home at two o'clock. Um, so I'm not a clock watcher, but I do think that it, it helps people feel 
better at those moments that we all have in business where you've actually got to put a little bit more in, you know, the, the, than you would normally. And I think that if you enjoy what you're doing, you, you know you're valued and you value what you're doing, then you're more likely to do that with a will, without having somebody going, you know, without having somebody with a stick saying you shouldn't be leaving before me. So humour is the carrot, essentially. Absolutely, yeah. 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 I, I heard you say in, in an interview a while ago that, uh, that great leaders are the kind of people who walk into a heightened business situation and by their actions say, calm down. And uh, state management, essentially, is humour a part of that toolkit? I think so. But I, I think that you actually do get a reputation for. So it's not necessarily appropriate at that moment so it isn't always right to walk in in a very difficult situation and use humor and actually it could be entirely inappropriate but if you have a reputation for for having a sense of humor if you have a reputation of, of having a sense of fun and a, and a reputation for um, encouraging a more relaxed atmosphere which humor certainly does then I think you're in a much better place to walk in and diffuse a situation. So, so you know, whether you use humour at that moment or whether or not you've used humour to build you to a place where you can, you can walk into a situation and diffuse it, which I think is probably my, you know, more my style, um, that people will know that I'm, I'm capable of, of, of humour and being more relaxed. I think that definitely helps. So, in essence, uh, laughter is the lifeblood of any relationship, is it? Is it sort of, is it what brings people together, whether that's personally or in business? Oh, laughter. I, it, laugh doesn't laughter make you feel good. You know, it doesn't, when you sit and you've had that absolute bellyache laugh, how good do you feel? I mean, physically, it, it changes you in any event. But I could, I could, I could go out and, I could conquer the world after I've had a jolly good laugh. I feel good. I feel strong. I feel, I feel relaxed. I feel open, you know, and that's what I want from people that I'm working with. You know, I, I, I want them to feel open. I want them to feel strong. I want them to feel um, safe. And, and I think laughter does all of those things. Oh, no, that's a wonderful message. I, I, I know that over the years, or a lot of years, and probably before most people were on board, you've focused on sustainability in your investments, especially recently. Uh, and this is a very serious issue that affects everyone around the world. Do you think there's room for humour in such a serious and important issue? And, and can it help drive home that serious message? Well, I, I think there's actually room for humor in most messages um, because um, if it's just if people just feel like they're being pummeled you know this is just unmitigatingly bad news then eventually we all switch off there's only so much bad stuff that we want to take on or should take on to be honest so I think that that, that in whatever situation Humour doesn't mean you're making light of something. You know, it doesn't mean to say you think it's ridiculous or you think it's silly, but, but actually bringing those moments out that, that, that you can laugh about, I think is really, really important. It goes back to my use of Twitter. Now, there's only so many times I can just keep banging on about the things that I really care about before I think, 
hold on a minute. I think we all need a break here, don't we? You know, so, so I do think, yeah, I think that most subjects, not every subject, but most subjects um, can be enhanced with humour at the right moment. So how would you define that right moment? And, and, and if you like, what advice would you give to other people about using humour and, and, and making it appropriate, I suppose? Well, I think um, belittling the subject is not good humour, you know, to actually turn, this is a big issue that is worrying a lot of people. So finding something that, that actually proves the point but in a in a humorous way, you know, and that can often often be through making things ridiculous, you know, th extreme or ridiculous or, you know, to the nth degree. Um, and I often use that as a tool, you know, I, I'll just take this tiny thing and then turn it into this massive, great big nth degree, which is obviously ridiculous. Um, so I think but but I can't teach somebody when the right moment is. I very much because I think I look around me and I. I very much buy into the mood of the room. Um, I think that I instinctively feel like, actually, I've had enough of this. <laughs> okay, I can't take any more, so I'm sure they can't. <laughs> um, so now is the moment. But you have got to be paying attention to the mood. You know, you have got to be. And on Twitter, I'll, I'll, I'll see people are starting to get fed up. You know, I'll, I'll think, actually, to be honest, they're right. I've gone on a bit long about this now. We probably need a bit, a bit of light. But so it's reading the room, essentially, is what you're talking about and being able to understand. I was very interested when you were talking about, you know, uh, breaking the spell by um, getting people to laugh at themselves, because in psychological terms, that is what you're doing. By, uh, by doing that, the perception of the problem is lightened. Yes. And, and you're doing the same thing in, in business, essentially. That is so true, you know, and it's true, isn't it? If you can laugh at something, it suddenly doesn't seem quite so bad. You know, it's, it's suddenly like, yeah, OK. And even if it is bad, it doesn't sound insurmountable. You know, if there's a little bit of humour in there, what, what we don't need is all of the problems of the world to pile up and everybody feel like, well, I give up. You know, it's just it's just all too much and all too big. You know, and I think... That, that, as you say, breaking that a little bit and lightening that, it empowers people, it gives them the energy to think, no, we can do this. We can do this. Well, I think you're 100% right. But, and presumably, you also would agree with me that it aids resilience in yourself and in your teams and everything, if, if you can add that into the mix. Oh, Paul, you're... It's so true. I, I, it worries me. You know, sometimes I'll see people who just can't laugh. They can't laugh at themselves. They can't laugh at a situation. And, and it worries me that they take everything to, everything is equally serious to them, you know, and, and I don't know how your mental state stays healthy if everything is so heavy on you. You know, it's, it, it, it you, you, at times you have to be able to just just think this is this is ridiculous you know <laughs> and, and and it you know i i see it and and that might be attitude that might be upbringing that might be personality but i work with some of those people and i will work really hard to find a way find something that they they can engage in that's a little bit lighter, you know, that's uh, to ho hopefully open the door and think it's okay, guys, you know, take the lid off sometimes.
Well, I, I love that. I, I, and it reminds me of that American phrase, which is uh, your attitude dictates your altitude, i.e. how high you will go. And, and, and I think that whole attitude thing is key to actually finding the attitude um, that, that lightens it for everyone and therefore aids the resilience in everyone as well. So I think that's beautiful and great, great advice. And it, overall, brilliant business advice. We've come to the part of the show now, Deborah, that we like to call quick fire questions. Right. Quick fire questions. You can't wait, can you? I can't wait. <laughs> and you know, if I don't want to answer, you do know I won't, don't you, Paul? Because we had well, this at the beginning. I think we've got that quite clear now, to be honest with you, Deborah. The, um, who is the funniest business person that you've met? I'll give you a um, somebody who you won't know. It's funny, isn't it? Because people always want to hear names that they know. No, but actually, no. no so uh, a chap called Kevin Moriarty. He's he was uh, he's in construction, or he's actually now a fund manager. Um, but he is absolutely he's hysterical and he has he is so well networked everybody knows Kevin in the construction industry everybody likes Kevin in the construction industry because he he can make people laugh you know and and he I've seen him use humor to diffuse really difficult situations he's got a great sense of humor and he uses it brilliantly Kevin Moriarty we'll have to look him up there you go what book makes you laugh? I don't have an actual book, uh, but I do like my one of my father's favourite book is Three Men in a Boat. And I've never read it. I've actually just started reading it. And that's actually got some really because it's very observational stuff. And I think it's the observational stuff that makes me laugh. You know, Caitlin Moran, things that she writes makes me laugh because I look at that and think, oh, yeah, that is so, you know, that is that's it. That's brilliant. So she makes me laugh. Um, Nora Ephron, uh, she makes me laugh. You know, she she but I don't. It's not all in a book. And I, I'm a bit like this about life. You know, you never find anything all in one place. You know, you, you, for me, it's, it's about it's about those moments that you find and you just come across a paragraph and you just, you know, bellyache laughter and think that is so right. Um, so, yeah, I can't give you a book, but I've given you some authors there. No, but some great authors as, as well. And Caitlin Moran Caitlin is, is a genius. Uh -huh. Absolutely. Genius. I spent my whole time going, oh, that's it. <laughs> I didn't know anybody else thought like that's it. <laughs> no, yeah, didn't. no. And she always puts her finger on the, the, the funny. Oh, so true. So true. Uh, and uh, quite difficult situations. She's exactly yes. what we we're talking about. She can take something really quite punchy and, and find the funny in it. Yeah. Well, it's it's dark humor isn't it it's yeah. uh, you know it's and bursts that bubble and and makes you see the funny side which is fantastic what film makes you laugh um do you know i watched blazing saddles for the first time can you believe this everyone in the world has watched blazing saddles and i watched it for the first time about six months ago and i thought blimey it's funny but also clever you know, it was it was really and actually a lot of relevant themes now. Um, no, I love I thought Blazing Saddles was very, very funny. Um, and I also loved um, actually it's a television series. I love Schitt's Creek. I absolutely oh, love Schitt's Creek. Genius. 
Oh my goodness. Because when you when I first started, I thought, oh, that is absolutely ridiculous, beyond ridiculous. But in all of those extreme characters, I've met them all. You know, I've met them <laughs> slightly at the other end of the scale, but you know, they've taken those people and they've kind of, you know, stretched them to the other end of the scale. I loved Shit's Creek. And what brilliant comedy actors as well. Oh. They're all just so perfect, aren't they? They're so well drawn. And they, yeah. oh, they just hit hit every note. No, I completely you, agree. You, you rarely get an entire cast that is bang on. You know, I there wasn't one outstanding. They were just all bang on. Brilliant, brilliant. Brilliant. I'm going to take a slight shift to the other side and, and ask what's not funny, Deborah? Oh, cruelty. There's no, there, there can be no fun or humour in cruelty. Um, and I mean, you know, human cruelty, um, meanness, you know, I don't like mean people. I don't like cruel people. Um, yeah, that's not funny. No, I completely agree. Um, I'm going to play a little bit of a game with you now, just before we uh, start to ask the last couple of questions and wrap up. Um, we started by saying that you had an illustrious, very brief career as a bingo caller. I'm going to say some bingo calls and you have to tell me what number they are. Okay. If it doesn't work, well, cut it out. No, well, no, no. So just so you know, I didn't use any of those bingo calls numbers because I used to, it was prize bingo, which is different. So they were all color coded. So red, yellow, so red one to 15, yellow 16 to 30. Blue 31 to 45, white 46. Anyway, that's how it went on. Now, uh, time and motion study. The quicker I could get the numbers out, the quicker the game was over and the quicker the next game started. So cash bingo is different because you can only run in, you can run in time sessions. This, I was just trying to turn the games over as fast as possible. You can test me. But I won't, okay. I won't be very good. Well, we're just going to do it for fun, but there are big prizes to be won, oh, Deborah. Oh, I'm very competitive. I'm very competitive. Okay, Dirty Gertie. 30. There you go. Trombones. Think, think of the song. I'm going to give you... Uh, 76. There you go. There you go. Boris Johnson's Den. Number 10. There you go. Uh, Winnie the Pooh. 22. 42. But 42. you got four out of five, and so you get the speedboat. Yay! <laughs> I don't want a speedboat. <laughs> well, nobody ever did. <laughs> Most of the time, the speedboat was won by somebody who lived in Birmingham. Yes, I know, I know. Mind you, it was better than the, it was better than the food mixer, because I don't want the food mixer either. either. Uh, okay, uh, would you, oh, actually, no, let's, what word makes you laugh? Oh, that's easy. Bob, but only when spoken by Rowan Atkinson. Rowan Atkinson saying Bob, Bob. in in Blackadder. Yes. Oh, it is funny. That is <laughs> Absolutely hilarious, and nobody's ever chosen that. What a great choice. Um, would you rather be considered clever or funny? 
Well, that's interesting because I, I would say funny because I actually think to be funny, people assume you're clever because you have to be perceptive. You know, you have to be tuned. It's being funny is my kind of clever because you've got to tune into people. You've got to be um, you've got to be able to read the audience. You've got to communicate well. You've got to take feedback. So I actually, when I say my kind of funny, I don't mean I am that person. I mean, I, that's the kind of, you know, I think I always associate being funny with being clever. I, I think you're 100% right. I've actually never met a, a, a comedian who isn't clever on some level and dexterous with uh, words. But you had, I think in order to make those associations, you have to be, you have to be clever. Um, so uh, finally... Desert Island gags. You can only take one joke with you to a desert island, Deborah. What would it be? What's the best thing about Switzerland? I don't know, but the flag's a big plus. Yes! <laughs> Brilliant. My, my only joke. <laughs> oh, that was fabulous. You've not only given us brilliant business advice, but the best in banter as well. Deborah Meaden, thank you so much for being on the Humorology podcast. Paul, thank you for inviting me. I have thoroughly enjoyed it. The Humorology podcast was hosted by Paul Barros and produced by Simon Banks. Music by Steve Hayworth, creative direction by Les Hughes and additional research by Helen Sykes. Please remember to subscribe, like, and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. This has been a Big Sky production. I genuinely enjoyed that. And, and, and you, you are some really good questions, Paul. I'm not just saying this back. A, you made me think. Um, but it also, I, I said some things there I've never said before because I've never been, I've never it's never been opened up to me before. Do you know what I mean? So, so you, you know, oh, sometimes you do these things and you kind of repeat the same thing because, yeah. But actually, I felt there, there was a there was a whole new um, opening there. So, no, thank you. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 